0: You're listening to The Headroom, a podcast for aspiring sound engineers and contemporary acapella.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to The Headroom Podcast. My name's Kyle. And my name's Ricky. Today we have one of our Headroom Bits where we're going to talk about a very relevant topic uh, surrounding virtual choirs and doing projects remotely from home. Today we're gonna focus on audio quality of remote recordings, best practices, and whether or not you are a performer in a group or an audio engineer yourself, basically how you can best approach projects to get them to sound as good as you can and as close to a studio project as possible.
0: Now, what do we mean when we say virtual choirs and virtual acapella videos? Basically, due to CDC guidelines and COVID, Groups are no longer able to sing together in person uh, due to safety reasons. So as an alternative, groups are recording themselves remotely in their own homes and compiling the audio and video together to create content for their groups. So we've been seeing a trend of groups putting out these videos and a lot of these competitions are now hosting virtual events where they are encouraging groups to produce their own music videos and really pushing them to make their own content from scratch.
1: So I think this year is going to be really interesting because as we've seen, there's a lot that goes into a virtual project. In some cases, it's even more than what actually goes into a studio project because it comes down to the variability of of how everything's done. And we're going to cover some of that today. Um, I'm sure all of you have actually gone on social media, scrolled through Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is, and seen some form of a box video um, where people's heads are floating left and right around the screen um, and people are singing. And maybe in some cases it sounds like they're in a big church or some it sounds like they're actually in their bedroom where they're they're being filmed. Um, but today we're going to talk about um, really a lot of the, the differences and what makes that sound so good and uh, really why it's different.
0: All right, so how is a virtual acapella video created? Well, first, it starts with the arrangement. It, you know, once the music director or the arranger uh, puts something together, they blast it out to the rest of the group. In addition to that, they send out the MIDI files. So the MIDI file acts as a guide for not only how to sing the parts, but also uh, also sets the tempo for the singers when they go into the the recording phase so each singer uh, on their computer they would record their voice over the midi track and uh, once they're finished recording they uh, render the file and send it uh, back to the um to the editing engineer or the mixing engineer
1: after this the mixing engineer working with the group uh, will then take the tracks and Uh, Do an assortment of things that we'll discuss later um, but basically then then move forward and basically mix and edit things the same way that they might um, but to a more realistic sound Um, sometimes mixing studio tracks kind of creates this surreal environment and um, Supernatural performance, which I think a lot of the the box videos have been straying away from and and aiming for something That's really more alive and honest representation but the biggest thing that all of these projects stem down to the difference between the two um are really the the microphone the space the singer records in you know the performance having the engineer present and then like having context and being able to hear other singers so these are kind of like the biggest parts of all the audio that actually go into making a difference
0: so the reason the space matters is because it affects how your, uh, your voice resonates within the room. So ideally, you want to be in a space that is not reverberant, right? So you want to treat the room nicely um, with, uh, with cushion, whether it's pillows or blankets, and you want to try to keep it as dead as possible because you want to try to emulate the studio space. When you're recording in a, a noisy, reverberant room, um, that will actually poke through the mix and affect your audio it, and it makes it difficult for the edit, an uh, editing and mixing engineer to, uh, make the, um, you know, the proper tweaks to, uh, you know, make, make you sound like studio quality. Cause you know, as engineers, our goal is to bring it as close as we can to studio quality, but only so much can be done if the source material is, um, you know, is not ideal. So the next area of big difference I mentioned, the the microphone is
1: probably one of the bigger things that makes a difference. A lot of people are recording primarily on smartphone microphones, and all of these microphones for the most part are what are called omnidirectional. And what this means is that the microphone is really designed to pick up any noises and any sounds that are in its general vicinity and with this you know if the microphone is in the opposite end of the room and i'm making noise it's designed to to listen and pick that up and with the studio microphones the large diaphragm condenser microphones or dynamic microphones that we'd like to use those have a, a more of a A focused ear for lack of a better term which basically allows the microphone to point in one direction and say hey only listen to sound coming from this one spot and because of that they have what's called a better rejection Um, they're able to block out other noises and just focus on on one source or uh, an area where one source is coming from so that's why tracks can be really noisy and have all that that hum and hiss
0: and and fuzz going on so with that in mind we talked about the space and the microphone so those two things affect the performance of the singers so imagine you have a singer especially a soloist who has who has a part where they're belting really loud they're you know they're required to be a powerhouse now when you don't have the ideal space or microphone that can be problematic uh in the sense that well, you're belting, and the um, because this the space isn't treated, there's going to be a lot of uh, reflection from the walls, right? So all of the reverb is going to bounce back into the mic, and uh, you know, and sort of dilute the quality of the audio. Another issue that could happen is is the the input right? The input settings for the microphone it might not be able to handle such intense volume from the singer's voice when things like that become a factor, it can affect how the singer might want to perform. So if they want to have clean audio and their microphone might not be able to handle it, then sometimes they might be forced to hold back their performance and it, it does show, um, it, it, and I, I've seen that happen in a lot of the, uh, virtual sessions that I've had to edit and mix. Also, Kyle will uh, go into this in, in the next portion but you know the the lack of the presence of engineer to coach the, the performer uh, that is also another factor uh, as to why you you may notice a, um, a a dip in the performance quality on the virtual videos as opposed to studio.
1: Yeah so going back to the performance part, like Ricky was saying, a lot of performers don't realize especially ones that sing in a bigger group, how much they might lean on other people in the group to actually sing their part correctly and so singing along to a midi as as ricky mentioned earlier instead of singing alongside of other people is really difficult um and so like using the solo and the bass and someone doing percussion and and other parts as context is huge and so not having that context can really bite into someone's performance and make it not sound great. There's basically just a lot of distractions in a very unnatural environment that someone's expected to do the best performance that they can in with an awkward set of gear that really aren't designed for it. Um, and so, you know, the combination of these these things can make it really difficult to get a good, consistent quality product out of, of remote recordings And what we encourage, kind of what all this stems back to is if you're not sure what you're doing, talk to someone who does and show them your audio Um, because you can only make a bad recording so good. There's only so much that you can do to it and we're going to kind of get into that right now. So we had a singer record the same little vocal take on different microphones in different places to give you all examples of what a decent good and then not so great recording actually sound like. So here is the recording that you might get from about two to three feet of of distancing from an iPhone in what is a well-treated space. Now
0: here's an example where a singer sings too close to the microphone. And the audio starts to peak.
1: Am I in love with the one that could
0: break my heart?
1: Here's a different take of the same singer, same little vocal take, but singing in a room that is very reverberant and is not an ideal recording space. Am I in love with the one that could break my heart?
0: And finally, here's an example of someone singing on a studio quality microphone.
1: Am I falling in love with the one that could break my heart? So as we can hear, there's a pretty big difference in all of the quality of audio files that we just played for you. And Ricky actually has found the secret to basically making sure that you record your projects in a way that your audio files won't be
0: ruined. There's a lot of trial and error, I guess. And, um, you know, I've, I've listened to a lot of audio. So I think, well, I personally think that the best way to uh, get the best sound at the source is properly treating a room. That's where it starts, right? So for every singer in their own environment, they need to walk around their house and clap around and listen for where where in the house has the least amount of reverb. You also have to listen for any uh, other noises, such as fans, computer noises, traffic, things like that. I believe we discussed that in a in a previous headroom bit. But anyway, you want to find the least noises possible. So it, it requires uh, close attention to to detail in the in the room. And what you want to do is go the extra mile and treat. The room with cushions such as pillows, blankets, uh, extra curtains, rugs, anything to deaden the sound. Now, what helps is finding a small space within that room as well. So, uh, what I like to do is I like to, uh, you know, go into a walk-in closet that has a bunch of clothes hanging. Um, you know, try to find a, a space where you can just worry less about sound traveling. Uh, across long distances and and uh, treating the small space
1: so the best way for you to know that you've found the right space is to listen back to your audio files and say hey is this good enough is there a large air conditioner that is humming underneath me is my window open and is there wind going by about traffic you know all these things can kind of get in the way of your performance because again the mic you're using assuming it's a smartphone, is probably going to be listening to everything that it can. In the event that you've done the best you can and you've re-recorded things potentially, you've found multiple spaces, done multiple takes, um, there are ways to help restore the audio that you're given. Um, But unfortunately, a lot of times that is using really expensive software that you may not have access to. So if you're an engineer who's looking to maybe expand your, your tool belt. I think that investing in some quality audio restoration software right now is probably more relevant than it's ever been. Um, and we're going to talk about some software from companies like, uh, OX sound, isotope, fab filter, and talk about ways that we can
0: basically reduce anything that's in the audio that we don't want to be there. So one of the first plugins I would recommend is a noise removal plugin. And one of the noise removal plugins I use is X-Noise by Waves. So what they do is they analyze uh, what has been recorded and uh, look for any uh, room noise or hums. And you can attenuate uh, those frequencies and remove that background noise. Um, So a lot of the recordings that you get for for these virtual acapella videos um, You're still gonna hear traces of room noise. Uh, You know, sometimes the singers can only do so much to treat their room, uh, or they just can't turn off the vents that are in that are running in the house. So, um, like a noise removal like X Noise will come in really handy for, uh, you know, getting rid of that, um, rid of that background noise, especially when they're singing parts that. have short staccatos or or they have rests um because the, the background noises will uh will actually poke through especially when you're compressing them so another company that i've been using their software
1: from is a company called isotope um, they make some more pricey software and in this program they have called rx8 or rx7 it's basically an entire suite of, of audio restoration tools. And in this, there's an example of, of a de-noise plugin, like Ricky mentioned. I like using what's called their de-reverb plugin, which basically focuses to reduce the amount of reverb that you might hear on a track or the amount of space. So it tries to turn down the, the parts of audio, especially in really fast takes. Basically, if someone just sings a little bit and then stops singing, it's kind of easy to to cut it off. But there's still a little bit of tail of reverb that exists within the phrase itself. And the, the software does the best job that it can to try and separate the actual dry source, uh, the singer, from the space that it's in. Beyond Isotope, there are other companies that make uh, de-reverbing plugins, so look out for those. There are definitely cheaper versions on the market Maybe try one out for free or see what you can find in trial
0: uh, to get one that you think works for the tracks that you're working on. So another thing that most engineers need to worry about when producing these types of audio is resonance. So one way to treat resonance is with a dynamic EQ plugin whenever there is buildup at a certain frequency because of a specific room, uh, you can attenuate um, that frequency dynamically. So it's not always going to cut at that frequency, but it will, it will only do it if it you know, crosses a th- certain threshold. They come in really handy for moments where let's say a singer sing- is belting out uh, a note and it's causing a little bit of uh, reverberance in the room. Uh, so a dynamic EQ can treat that. Um, one example of a dynamic EQ that I like to use is Fab Filters Pro Q Three. It's quite expensive, but it's a very sophisticated tool. It uh, it does wonders. Uh, you know, I not only do I use it for resonance, but I use it for things like side chaining and things like that. So I believe it's about hundred eighty dollars. It's pricey, but uh, you know, it's worth the money if you are gonna be um, treating audio like that. Yes, I use that as well. And then there are also other versions of dynamic
1: EQs that are probably a little cheaper. F6 from Waves is a dynamic EQ and I believe there are other companies that make free versions too. So check those out. Um, But along the lines of Resonance, uh, Ricky and I have both been using uh, this is shamefully um, a plugin more uh, more often than we probably should because we we're obsessed with the way it sounds. Uh, it is a company called I think it's pronounced OX Sound O E K Sound and they they make a plugin called Soothe and this plugin is very unique um, and it's unique in that really no no other software has really kind of achieved, um, the same performance that this does. And, and what this does is it basically works as a, an intelligent dynamic EQ. What we tell this plugin to do is to listen for resonances within whatever frequency range we tell it to. And it then tries to reduce, um, those, those resonances with either, you know, uh, kind of like, a big broad brush or like a fine brush you know like a fine tooth comb and we can kind of control that but it works really well um and and what you notice is that the source itself when you use it kind of sounds more up front it kind of brings the the source closer and gets rid of a little bit of like the haziness almost that a track has it makes things sound uh, more clear and more natural
0: yeah, I find myself using Soothe a lot, especially for the cell phone, you know, quality videos. Um, and the nice thing about Soothe is just like there are just so many things that you can dial in. You can set how aggressive you want to be with the uh, with the attenuation. Um, so I, I I find myself just throwing it in as the first insert, or sometimes I do it after the noise removal plug, plug in. But it's one of the f- first things I throw in before uh, anything else Uh, I'd like to do that sometimes before and then render it before going into editing on Melodyne
1: so the downside to Soothe is that it's over $200 and it's really expensive so again we kind of gave this little warning at the beginning that we would be talking about some expensive softwares and the additional downside to them being expensive is that it also doesn't help if you buy them and don't know how to listen for what you want out of them because it takes a little bit of time to be able to hear and say, okay, this track sounds technically better because it has reduced sibilance. It has reduced resonances, noises, hums, clicks, whatever it is. Um, And so I don't think you should go out and blindly buy any of these softwares. I think you should, I think you should determine whether you need them uh, and how much they might help you. I think if you can get really far with EQ and get really far with dynamic EQ and some free software and if you want to go to the next level, that might be the time to consider like, hey, maybe I should demo some of the software and see if it really helps and see if I can make a big difference with it.
0: Yeah. And for those of you that are competing uh, for the ICCA stuff, for, you know, I, I would take advantage of those demos while you can. Uh, so dedicate that time f- uh, to mix uh, in this Short window that you have, so you're probably gonna have 30 days, right? So um, use that month to uh, learn the software. I would just look up YouTube videos just to kind of study, you know, how to use those plugins. That's if you really want to get your feet wet into these uh, products. But yeah, like Kyle said, uh, you know, start with the stock plugins, see what you can do. Um, if you do find yourself limited and really want to, uh, you know, push the boundaries further, then you can start looking into the software that we mentioned.
1: We we talked about doing all the audio restoration first because it's important that you do any fixes or any big tonal and, and, and content changes to an audio file that you're going to make before you start editing it. And when we say that, we mean really putting it through Melodyne, putting it through pitch and time correction because what will happen is Melodyne might take a recording that's not that has not been repaired, you know, one that has a low hum and one that has wind in the background, all the things we mentioned. And then when you want to kind of snap the pitch down and tell it to pitch it to C, it's pitching everything in that audio to a specific note. And so it might sound a little weird. Because it's trying to pitch you, your voice, and also all the noises within the audio file to the same pitch. And it might not sound the way that you want it to. So a lot of times making the quick fixes to basically make the, the recording sound as dry and as as clear as it can can make a, a big difference before
0: um, expecting Melodyne to just listen to you. So all that being said, um, most importantly is you want to get the best source material. So uh, we're probably gonna reiterate some things, uh, but Kyle, do you wanna say what's the the first thing you wanna do to make sure that you get the best source material?
1: You need to listen to your tracks because if they don't sound good and they can sound better by you just being in a different location or re-recording, you will save the engineer you work with and the actual quality of your project, a lot of time by just re-recording and trying something again.
0: Yeah. You want to make your singers feel responsible for ensuring that quality is the best that it could be. It's better than, you know, this one singer just, you know, doing whatever the hell they want and then sending it to you, and then you finding out that it sounds like trash, you know, put it put it on them, you know, to give you quality work. Um, because oftentimes if they think they can rely on one person to, uh, fix the audio, do the editing, the EQ and stuff like that, they'll kind of like slack off a little bit or just not care about their, uh, the quality of their performance. So make sure that you and your group are on the same page with, uh, what standards you want to set for your recording for all of you out there that Plan to
1: also record video with your project for it to be a visual project. One of the biggest pieces of advice we can give you is to not record audio and video at the same time. Because if a singer is thinking about how they look, making sure that their outfit is right and that they're giving the right emotional content with the song, then they might not be thinking about how they're singing. Also, the The location that you decide to actually record in for for the best audio quality is probably not going to be picturesque. It's not going to be out on a bench where you're in the sunlight and the wind is blowing and you look great. No, it's probably going to be in some darkened, dampened room. And so because of that, it's easier to just record your audio. And then when the time comes and you actually like start to get the mixes back or the edits or the other tracks, then to say okay, let's listen to this and then record video alongside to that, where we can just focus on how we look and how we're presenting ourselves.
0: You know, another thing to add is that when people record the audio and video simultaneously, oftentimes I see that they. end up not looking like they're in sync with the audio because let's say someone's recording and they're dragging or rushing uh the engineer is going to edit it to the grid and then send it back and then once the video editor puts it together you know that singer is just going to look like they're completely off you know if you're a group that's shooting a video i would suggest that you wait until you get the edited version and then have your singers lip sync to that because they're more They're more likely to uh, look like they're singing with the music.
1: And Ricky mentioned it. But lastly, the, the most important thing, if you have any questions or if you have doubts about what's going on, is to communicate with your engineer. Because they probably know more than you do or will give you an honest opinion about what they think of really your raw audio files and what the potential possibilities for your project are. Now, if you're a student and you're going to the ICCAs and you say, no, we want to do this all in-house, we want to do this ourselves, it's still probably worth getting the opinion of someone else that maybe has done this before or has some, some ears that, that you can utilize and get a good opinion on. So don't be afraid to reach out and communicate with other people for
0: the betterment of your project. Right. And if you don't have any engineering friends, well, you've got me and Kyle. We can be your engineering friends, so don't hesitate to reach out to us. Um, our email is available. You can DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, you know, we we want to help you put out the best work possible. Uh, we want you to be proud of your work. So, um, yeah, just uh, hit us up. Well, that's about all we have for today with this uh, episode about virtual uh, acapella projects. Uh, Again, don't hesitate to reach out to us uh, and stay tuned for more episodes like this. Peace.
1: Thanks again for listening to the Headroom Podcast with your hosts, Kyle and Ricky.